Hey, welcome to Wild Faith Adventure Podcast. We are trying to have the conversations that we wish we had gotten in church. We are uh, three uh, cisgendered white men, and we're all millennials, and we're just trying to have these conversations. We're not the expert on any of these topics, and we may not be the most qualified to have these topics, have these conversations, but we value them. We think they're important. We wish that we gotten to talk about it with somebody. So we're talking about it with each other, with friends in a safe space. And, and we encourage you to find a safe space to have similar conversations. I'm Josh. I'm one of the hosts. I'm Tyler. And I'm Nick. Well, thanks for joining us. We um, just kind of a disclaimer in this episode, we'll be talking about sex and gender roles and gender norms and bodies. So that's part of what we'll be talking about. I think of all the things we talked about, this is one of the things that I've always wished we churches would talk about more. Um, it's part of every person's story. Yeah. It's, it doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter if you're in the church or outside of the church. These topics this topic particularly is part of your story, every person's story. And so it has meaning, I think, that we can't get away from. Yeah, and also just saying, like, we, we acknowledge, you know, part of the reason we want to have these conversations is because we feel like people that are in our situations of privilege often would prefer not to talk about them at all. And so we're just trying to, even though, you know, we, we don't think we don't we don't profess to have like the final voice in any of these matters. We just are trying to, you know, faithfully have conversations and topics that are normally avoided because of the the difficulty and because, you know, they only affect people who aren't privileged like us and we're not in charge. Uh, <laughs> we're not trying to say that this is this is the answer. This is us just trying to have the conversation yep. we wish we'd talked about. Maybe we'll start there. Let's just jump in. Is that all right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Josh, do you want to start off with your experience? Yes. With sex? I don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I want to start off with a statement that has been running through my mind even in the last couple of years, uh, I'm a pastor, uh, part of the Church of the Nazarene. The Church of the Nazarene has tried to have conversations about sex. Uh, I was at school at a Methodist seminary. It was an ecumenical school, so there were people from all over. And they're trying to have those conversations about gender roles, gender norms, gender identity, sexuality, um, and bodies. And when I, when I think about what's going on, and when I say this statement, I'm intentionally trying to heighten your emotions. So just FYI. The church, in my mind, you know, and I, I don't know all things, but in my mind, 
the church has positioned itself as the dom in the bedroom and positioned you, us, as the subs. And I'm using BDSM language here, a dom and a sub. So the church has positioned itself as the dom in the bedroom. But the difference between the church and the BDSM community is that in the BDSM community, your safe word is respected. When you say I'm uncomfortable with the way things are going, the way that my body's being treated and used, it's respected. And I'm not saying for the theological church, but I'm talking about local churches and the organizational church, business churches. The safe word is not being respected. Hmm. The way that we, the way that we talk about bodies and engage with the bodies and interact with each other's bodies. And when we use our safe words to say, I'm uncomfortable with the way that your organization is talking about my body. The church has positioned itself as the dom and is not respecting our safe words. And I say the church, I'm not talking about the transcendental church, the part of the body of Christ. It's part of that, but also this organizational structure, this institution. That's what I've been running through in my mind. And when I think about this conversation that I wanted to have with you two, that just kept playing through my mind. Hmm. Uh, the church has positioned itself as the dom in the bedroom and is not respecting our safe word. So do you mind I, if I ask you to expound on like safe word, like what um, specifically in this analogy of, of what, yeah. What is that? What, what are the safe words being said, being spoken? Mm. I think more could be said about it. And maybe I'm not the person mm. to, to highlight all the different ways that safe word, like all the different safe words. But when the safe word is this code word in BDSM interaction that says in this scenario, I'm uncomfortable. Let's stop. Mm -hmm. Let's step back. Let's relook at our relationship together and what's going on. This intercourse or piece of intimacy that we're doing, let's step back and look at it again. I'm uncomfortable. People in my life, communities, I think the LGBT community have said, I'm uncomfortable. And if we're, trying to talk about gender as well mm -hmm. um, and highlighting women's voices. Women have said, I'm uncomfortable mm -hmm. with the way that my body is being engaged. So more could be said, and maybe it's not the perfect analogy, but it's in your face. And I like that. Yeah. Well, I think I think that in that analogy, it may not be perfect, but I think it's a good one, especially in what we're talking about. But I think that I may even, I mean, when a dominant 
person in the in the bedroom does not respect the sub's safe word, to me that violation is called rape. Yep. Right. And you know, for me, I am comfortable with saying that you know, we as cisgendered white men, you know, the typical heteronormity of our sexuality, which in my experience has been the position of the church. And so we have been encouraged in a conceptually, spiritually to rape others in our community, mm. you know, not just spiritually, but physically as well. When we, when, I mean, how many of us have seen in the news of straight white men perpetually raping women, men, and trans folk. The hashtag me too. That's a safe, that's right. Well, I don't know that I can speak to it, but highlighting it, I want to highlight it and raise it up and say that this is a claim that we're, that women are uncomfortable with the way that their bodies are being used. Um, And I'm not saying that the church is, cause that you know organizationally institutionally i think they're they're it's problematic um I'm not saying that it's directly caused it that they've gone out and, and done this thing but i am saying that they're not talking about it and in not talking about it of, of how to care for bodies and engage with bodies ethically and even theologically um that's problematic as well. Hmm. Yeah, I just I struggle so much to 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 try and speak speak more about this, and I appreciate what you're saying, Josh. Of of you know those safe words that are being spoken are 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 being uh, they're being spoken differently depending on people's situations and who they are. But as I'm thinking about specifically the LGBT community, the safe words, you know, are, they're, they're being ignored in different ways by the, Mm. by the Dom. And, and I think that there's two particular things that I've been thinking about when it comes to this issue is that, that either, either it's, it's that the Dom is pretending that, that, they don't exist you know people in the lgbt community that doesn't exist if you if you identify as that you are actually just sexually depraved right um people people like that don't actually exist you don't that's not that's not something that people really actually experience it's just that they're so obsessed with sex that they're willing to do um do things that would be would be uh, voiced as, as unnatural, you know. And then there's another thing, there's another side that's happening in the church lately that I've heard, and that is that people are acknowledged to exist. People who are not heteronormative, you know, we acknowledge that they exist, but they're told that they can't, they can't uh, uh, be who they are, right? Um, and so, so it's the, it, it's, it's kind of 
ignoring the safe word in a different way. It's that, mm-hmm. and, and either way, people people are being devalued and 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 not listened to. And either way, I think to to you continue using that analogy, their safe words not being heard. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that that's definitely a definitely. It's difficult, you know, <laughs> difficult to speak more, more about yeah. that. So maybe let's get, just put all the cards on the table and let's also define some of these terms uh, just for each other. I think some of the terms can, you know, if I were to say the word queer and you heard it, it could be, you could perceive it differently than I could. So maybe let's define some of the general terms and... Um, I think that'll be helpful for our listeners too. And just talk about these things uh, in a respectful way. I want to have fun in this conversation with the two of you. I want to respect your sides of, you know, your opinion and your experience of things. And I don't mean to be condescending towards the church or um, others, but also I, I do want to say something's not right when, when we're not respecting safe words. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's get some terms out there. Uh, non-heteronormative, uh, both of you used that word. Can Maybe we could just define it together real quick, like in a short sentence. Yeah. It's uh, a lot of pressure. Yeah, and correct me. If, <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah, no. Correct me if you all, if I'm missing something or if you all don't agree, but uh, non we're talking about heteronormative or non I don't know. I just thought, let's define some of the terms. Uh, just pick. Yeah, pick I'm going to, I'm going to go with head. I'm going to go with heteronormative just because I think that that's easier. Cause I think there's a lot of things that are non heteronormative. And so me and Tyler used it in the positive sense definition. And so when I think of, when I use the term, heteronormative i'm using the common cultural understanding Mm -hmm. of gender and sex so the quote-unquote i would call the Mm quote-unquote traditional view you're straight whether you're a male or a female um your gender is you know not in question you're have this understanding that you're a male you're a female and if you're a male you are attracted to females and if you're a female you're attracted to males and you the goal for relationships is either to spend, have long-term relationships with the opposite sex or to uh, commit your entire life to a member of the opposite so sex. it's like heteronormative is saying like this is what's normalized acceptable sexual behavior and use of bodies um and when someone says like when we use the word non-heteronormative, we might say that to be non-heteronormative means that a person who's non-heteronormative doesn't fit within what general society would call acceptable mm-hmm. or normalized. Um, and so in the church and in culture, these two things might be a little bit different if we were to say church like in, in Christian non-heteronormative like that kind of gets confusing so maybe we'll just put those two definitions those will be our general definitions and what's considered normative and non-normative 
in the U.S. is not considered the same in other countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in parts of the U.S., it could be different as well. We're in the South. Thanks for putting us in that context and clarifying. That's, that's yeah, super important. And, and highlighting what both of you mentioned, the cultural aspect of it is something that I, I hadn't even really thought about that because that's really what we're trying to highlight is what is made normal based on uh, society and in the particular context that you're located in. So that's, that's good to emphasize that. So to say the word LGBT is not the same as, or LGBTQ even is not, not the same as saying non-heteronormative. And in, in my experience um, having been in uh, academic conversations around this topic it's unfair to identify someone else we can self-identify but it's unfair for us to say well that's not Mm. that's you know you're lesbian that's non-heteronormative that's Mm -hmm. for me that that's unfair i don't want to do that to somebody um but I just want to say, when we're using the word non-heteronormative, it's not, it's similar, but it's not synonymous for me. And I don't know what y'all's experience is or your thoughts on it are. It's, mm-hmm. sen- it's not synonymous with saying LGBTQ. Um, so there are other non-heteronormative behaviors that could technically qualify under uh, queer sexuality depending on the definition of queer uh, that's changed over time. But non-heteronormative could also be BDSM parties, um, lifestyle activities. So lifestyle activities includes BDSM, but it also orgies and other things that fall under um, just lifestyle choices, swingers, different things. Yeah. Yeah. So typically we wouldn't say that that's, LGBTQ, but it's still non-heteronormative. Some people would say it's it's Q. Some people would say it's queer, but that changes depending on who you're talking to. I don't know if y'all are comfortable with using that terminology, or is that do you feel like we have the right terminology to move forward in this conversation? I'm on the same page. That's how that's how I generally feel as yeah, well. That I mean that all of that helps me honestly. Cool. And, and hopefully it's helpful for our listeners because I'm, you know, I think some of, some of our listeners may be very familiar with, with the different terminologies, but some of us, uh, you know, this may be the first time we've had a, a deeper conversation around sexuality, yeah, specifically in faith circles. You know, this is something that we ignore. I don't, I don't think I've ever talked about BDSM or, uh, lifestyle activities with any other like group of faith people. Um, I say it in passing just to like make people's eyes go wide and pop, but just to mess with them. But I I don't think I've ever had a a serious conversation with anyone (laughs) in a faith community uh, outside of academic circles. Yeah. What kind of conversations have you had around issues of bodies, sex and gender in and around the church and what that look like for you? Um, I, I'll, I'll speak to that just a little bit. Um, and cause I, I have a feeling that we're probably all going to have similar kind of backgrounds, but you know, a lot of our conversations, that's 
you know, how it's been. Um, but hetero, to, to use that language, heteronormative, and we've defined it such as like what is uh, uh, culturally appropriate and how um, sexuality and gender um, takes place and the roles that we expect of people uh, has been very, very, very narrow uh, for me. You know, growing up, this is, it was very specific. And not, not only was it, was there specific um, roles, but there were specific expectations, you know, and so that just, you know, straight up, it's just the purity culture aspect of you don't have sex until you get married and um, you uh, you get married to someone of the opposite sex and you have kids and you stay together and and that's you know those are the expectations that's the that's the norms and then on top of that the man is expected to be the primary uh, um, breadwinner you know so to speak the one that that makes the majority of the money the mother preferably stays home um and i say mother because that's the expectation not just wife mother um it, the expectation is they stay home and they um it's preferable for them to stay home and raise kids uh but but also with the understanding that some women work and that's okay as well um yeah, I mean that's that's the narrow definition. I mean that's that's when it comes to sex, you don't really talk about sex. You don't really um, sex is something that's reserved for for two people. Um, I just kind of a brief story. I remember hearing a story of a guy who got a call um, from his brother on the night of his wedding, um, and he had been raised in in a purity culture and context, and you know this was you know, him and his wife were having sex for the first time. They had just gotten married and they literally didn't know what to do. <laughs> and I think that, that that's probably the experience of a lot of people um, when they go into, to, to having sex yeah. after married and that, that, in that context, anyway, I don't want to get off too much on that. I, that, that's my experience growing up. Um, I, I wasn't really exposed anything, anything outside of that mm. uh, is, sinful always and um even language like disgusting is used uh not just to describe like the lifestyle and stuff like that but the people themselves mm. um and that was that was my experience growing up and that's what i've even heard anytime there's a conversation about it in in a group of uh christians now i've i've even heard that um that that language is used of of anybody who does not fit into that and it's not just that they believe their lifestyle is sinful, that those people themselves are disgusting. That, and that, that language has particularly jumped out to me. And it, um, yeah, so, I, so we're going to keep talking about this and, and we'll get into it more maybe, but, but that, that's the, any kind of, any kind, any kind of conversation that happens, that, that's the language used, mm. disgusting, um, not just to describe the, the, the lifestyle or what they believe about the people, but I mean, but specifically those people <laughs> that, that are not, that don't fit into those types of things. The, the thing that I've described before um, are disgusting. That's the language used. Yeah. I um, have a really similar experience as far as like percep perception wise. And I 
really relate to your the word that you use for narrow um, and I would go so far as even say restrictive in my in my case and so my I'm gonna my initial um, sexual experience were primarily negative as well as um, restrictive and so my first conscious experience and kind of why at the beginning of the episode I was kind of harping on uh, the church enacting rape upon certain subjects um, in and outside of the church is because my first sexual experience was a violation of my own person. I was um, molested and raped by a pastor at a church that I went to when I was, Mm. when I was five years old. And so my sexual experience, you know, almost would say you know the foundation of that experience began with a violation and negativity and rape and I was lucky enough where my parents were you know just very new and curious about um, faith and they just I mean they would did everything they they sent me through you know over a decade of counseling and they you know legally went after the pastor um, and that church, because that pastor had worked with people with certain congregants to cover it up mm. and things like that. And so I was lucky enough that I had parents and family who recognized that I had been violated and that no matter if it was a person who represented the church, quote unquote, you know, those people were not were not reserved any sort of um, special protection or any special understanding of um, the way that they should behave sexually or uh, Mm. treat others. And so anyway, so that's where, so my understanding stems from that. And as I got older, I understood about my parents tried to instill with me about respecting others. And obviously that stemmed from my own experience. Um, But I grew up, in a pretty heteronormative family, you know, two parents married, you know, mainly before my mom became a pastor later on in my life. But before that, she wasn't working too much. My dad was, you know, working 10, 12 hour shifts providing for our family and um, all my siblings are straight. And so all my conversations when we started getting more involved in church was this narrow aspect of, Um, you need to save yourself um, for marriage and anything outside of that is wrong. And, and, you know, stay away from porn because it's bad. And even though a hundred percent of my friends and I had discovered and continually started watching porn throughout middle school, throughout, you know, all the way up until probably present day uh, in my conversations too, as a, as a adolescent, boy the conversations were the only the very few positive instances was about Mm self-fulfilling pleasure and so like sex was bad except for that it felt great and then once you were married you could have sex all the time Mm -hmm. and just feel good all the time and with this understanding of your partner you know which would be a woman would be obligated to fulfill that you know, and so I think that's the, the lack of 
women's voices too is that i think we probably all grew up with a mm. culture of slut shaming as well particularly aimed towards women where men you know were supposed to stay pure and they could ask for forgiveness and do all these you know bible study groups about not looking at porn more and maybe recognizing girls beauty quote unquote you know because they were hot pieces of art you know like these language you know that adults had instilled with me um even though i grew up with girls saying please don't call me hot that makes me uncomfortable and of course the idea of what of complimenting you what are you talking about just a complete disregard for what they wanted to what you know the opposite sex what women that i was particularly attracted to wanted in a any type of relationship, social relationship. And so there's mm-hmm. a form of domination right there is, you know, that I experienced, you know, the domination was on, was emphasized on my part and that was positive. But then as soon as a woman had a chance to pursue, you know, something, their sexuality, they were sluts and unclean, you know, and you could be, you know, I heard people that were man whores and man sluts, but that was like a man of a badge of honor you know, you get there, they're like, hell yeah, I'm a man whore. I yeah. get it every weekend. And, you know, and like, but then you could say the same thing to a girl and then, or to a woman, and she's quote unquote less desirable. And so, I mean, that, that happened throughout my college experience as well. Kind of the same attitude. Obviously, I started getting, ex- being exposed to um, more holistic views of, men and women and then getting into um, LGBTQ discussions and that kind of broadening my worldview. But that's kind of, okay. that's kind of where I'll well, stop for now. Let me pause. And I know you've shared that story with me before and just say, thanks for sharing your voice. Our wounds are sacred. And I know when we open them up, sometimes it can bring back uh, frustration and things, but, I hold that as sacred, uh, and thanks for sharing your story, both of you, but particularly Nick, that instance of trauma. Uh, so thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, thank you. thanks for taking the time to recognize it. When I was growing up, I had people who invested in my life, um, in my faith even, uh, and I'm so grateful for those people. They were very kind people, kind to me. Uh, and kind to others. And I watched them um, show that kindness to others. They're, you know, people who were there for me when we went through abuse and, and violence and, and domestic disturbance and, uh, and, and death and trauma, people who were there and supported me. So I want that to be clear. Uh, I'm so grateful for the people who've invested in me and loved me. But at the same time, I watched as they said things like homosexuality is the sin of all sins, the abomination of sins, and showed great hostility and aggression towards conversations around sex that weren't what they, can, what they would consider or maybe their community would consider pure. And maybe we could have a whole other conversation about what's called pure and, and holiness, but there was some dissonance. Uh, they, they didn't match up. 
the way that I saw these people and they showed me love and kindness. And then the way that they talked about um, a particular sin. And that was always really weird for me uh, for, for me to watch that kind of conversation and watch that play out. And it's almost like they weren't speaking like they were just speaking, repeating what they had been said to them. Um, that's not how they lived. They were very kind, very expressive, but then in those instances, they were very hostile. And again, I'm so grateful for their their investment in me and, and kindness and love towards me. But I just, you know, we're people and people, humans aren't perfect. But at the same time, while I was growing up, um, one of my very close friends and uh, a girl that I did date, her mom was uh, married to a woman and they were super kind um, and oftentimes weren't accepted in like certain circles in our community. And we live in a small community and then the next town over they moved and then we moved there too. It was a larger community, but they were still, you know, weren't accepted in certain circles and when I say weren't accepted, I'm not saying like people were holding up signs in front of them, telling them they were going to hell, but it's, hmm. it's more what's not said, I think, when you're not accepted. And if you've ever not been accepted, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so they were super kind um, and they were the first um, difference, I guess from what I saw. And it was interesting because in, in church circles, I had this hostility um, towards homosexuality and other kinds of sexual expression and body expression as well. And then in, like, in my life, outside of, when sometimes we do this thing where we divide and say there's a sacred and a secular. I don't think that's true that there's, you know, we can divide those two, but Outside of the church building. Amen. Amen. That wasn't my experience. They weren't the worst people in the world. Um, and they were very loving and they had faith um, and they expressed it. So that was my initial kind of experience. But I, in my mind, and this is, this is kind of hard to talk about because of um, where the Church of the Nazarene stand, which is, I'm a part of, but in my mind, they're, you know, they're still sinning and going to hell. Um, as I was growing up, that was my thought. I'm like, oh, it's such a shame that th this is happening. Hmm. And I was that's that's hard to navigate. Went to. Rebecca, I know y'all didn't jump into Rebecca, but I'm going to do that. And I'm focusing here um, on LGBTQ issues, although so much could be said about my mistreatment of, of people uh, and shaming bodies um, and my sexual experience. I, we, we could say that about, about it, but you guys have already said some similar things. Well, I ended up going to Rebecca and... Um, we at Trevecca, my freshman year, a organization called Soul Force came to Trevecca to um, 
kind of protest in front of the the school because there were restrictions in the Church of the Nazarene about um, LGBTQ persons and even uh, other restrictions, probably organizationally, that I didn't even know about at the time. But they came to protest, and Dan Boone, I love Dan Boone, appreciate him so much, invited them instead to have a dialogue with us. And we opened a forum. It was in one of our buildings. We had a conversation. They were housed on the campus. Uh, I think food was provided um, and supported them so that we could have a conversation. And um, I was, I had the opportunity to partner with one of the protesters. Uh, and so each, a student was paired with one of the protesters and we got to sit at a table at dinner time and talk back and forth. And uh, eventually there was a panel conversation and we just talked back and forth that talking back and forth, you know, I was able to say some of the things that, you know, I'm, I'm hundred percent confident that sex is for like, this is wrong. What you're doing is wrong because sex is for procreating or um, sex is between a man and a woman. And they said things to me back that I hadn't thought of. And then they shared their, their struggles with me that I didn't know about. And, um, I began over the course of, I guess, several days, we became friends. And um, so I value that. And I look back on that. I'm very appreciative of that experience. It shaped my time with Rebecca and shaped me as a pastor and how I take a stance as an ally for LGBTQ people. Um, And then I helped make my decision about what school I'd go to for seminary. And in seminary, I was able Actually, for my graduating paper for Trevecca, I wrote about sex, um, specifically on the theology of marriage. And that was the paper I used to enter into um, into seminary. In seminary, I took some classes on uh, academic work on uh, queer hermeneutics and feminist hermeneutics and uh, gender studies. So that was uh, part of my story and helped shape me and bring me now to be able to, to stand as an ally and, and say that I'm proud of you, um, whoever you are out there listening. But that's kind of my story. I shared a little bit about my time after high school, and I'm curious about y'all's. Can you say more about how have things changed since adolescence and, and how has that affected your faith journey? So definitely kind of like some of the other issues we've talked about and, and, and this college was the time of, of kind of some shifting perspectives for me. Um, I also interacted with some, some people who were, who were um, non-heteronormative, you know, who were, who were who identified as LGBTQ and like getting to know, getting to know people is definitely a big part of what allowed me to, to embrace a little bit more ambiguity when it comes to sexuality and gender. Um, also, just like having having like classes that kind of exposed me to it. I, I was a social work minor, um, and and it and so we we discussed uh, gender issues and sexuality issues in in some of my uh, social work classes, and those were really helpful 
um, and, and giving me a, a new, some new perspectives and new ways of thinking about, about the issues um, going on. I remember, um, I'll, tell, I'll tell a little story um, from college. Uh, and this is particularly, this one, this story is particularly about um, gender roles. And so, I, but I think it, it played a big part in, in opening me up to, to be a little more thoughtful. Um, I think it was my first year in college. Uh, it was my birthday. Uh, my birthday falls like right around the time of move in. Actually, it must have been my second year in college. Um, must have been my second. Um, move in day follows right falls right around where my birthday is. And so we were moving in for a new school year. Um, it was my birthday, and I had two friends, um, two women friends that I knew from my my. We talked last time about district, but basically from my state, um, who I knew before going to Trevecca, and they uh, we were just really close friends, and um, they decided to to go with me to a waterfall that was about an hour away or so from from our college, and. Uh, we went out there and we were there and we had to walk to the waterfall and I had been taught, I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier when I was talking, but I had been taught that, that the man kind of plays this very particular role in relationship to women, whether it be a woman that they're in a, in an intimate relationship with or not, like you, you, you play a particular role around women. And so we were walking through the waterfall and it's kind of a funny story. I'm going to admit my, my silliness. I took on this very male dominating role, you know, of I would walk ahead of them. And then whenever I would get to like a little step down or something, I would stop and turn around and I would try to help them down. <laughs> and I mean, it's just so silly. Like they would not let me and I kept persisting on on helping them as if they needed it as like as if they were gonna fall or something but their their poor little women legs couldn't handle taking the step down and 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 so they like refused to let me help them and it ruined my day like i have to say that like i look back on it and i feel so so stupid and silly but i just have to admit it i hope one of them i hope they're listening and i don't know if they're listening podcast but I, 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 maybe I'll have to tell them that I have, they have to listen to it this time but um, yeah I mean I just feel so stupid looking back at that because it literally ruined my day we I had such a bad attitude on the way home and they were they knew why they knew I was mad about that and so I tell that story just because I think that that was a time in kind of a, of a, a growing in and transitioning time of of it kind of helped me to open up a little bit as I reflected on my attitude and, and, th and their response to me. Like, I think I thought at the time that I was being a gentleman, right? I'm just doing what gentlemen are supposed to do. I, you know, that's what you're supposed to do as a gentleman. It's not that they needed help. And I knew that, but I wasn't, I, I was, I was still playing this role and I think that, that that whole excuse of, of I'm a gentleman and that's why I'm doing it or I'm just being polite and that's why I'm doing it is it, it, it's kind of it's dishonoring to go back to, to Josh's original analogy. Um, it, it It is dishonoring people's own 
humanity their own safe word so to speak but their ability to to you know to be empowered to to do things yeah. that like all human beings can do like walk you know <laughs> and so um i don't know i i think i that story as i look back as i was in college and kind of had my mind opened up on on some of these issues of gender sexuality um I, I point to that story as being a, a point where I began to, I, I think, and I yeah. hope that I began to open up myself a little bit um, to being a little more open and not very restrictive to use that language that you use, Nick, uh, of mm-hmm. my image of what it's supposed to be, you know, and, and then, and then just another mm-hmm. thing and kind of throw out a recommendation. Um, there was a, there was a, uh, documentary I watched that was recommended by actually one of those um, women friends that I was talking about before. Um, she, she recommended this documentary as I was kind of struggling with my uh, beliefs about, about these it's called uh, for the Bible tells me so. If y'all have seen that it's an incredible documentary and it was extremely helpful as I was kind of processing um, what it meant to, to be a little more open-minded um, about these topics. I will say that that now where I'm at now, maybe I I don't know. Some people might would still call me a little traditional in that I still find um, I still think that sex in general is sacred, and there's a sacred aspect to sex. Um, I think that that's kind of what has what has stuck around for me as I've thought of, as I've continued to think about what sex is, um, and so there's a sacred aspect to it, um, but I also I also feel that that my time growing as into an into adulthood that I've become a lot more open um, and and again I, hopefully I'm seen as an ally to people who are are not according to the Western United States standards hetero are norm you know heteronormative and so I I try to make it a, a intentional part of my life to be an ally to those and to Thanks. be. But uh, before yeah. you jump That's in, like, just maybe a couple of clarifying questions, Tyler. And I'm, you know, I'm not trying to get sure. you to say the answer that I would say. I just want, I'm curious about your side of, of things here. What would you say? Would it make any difference if you were with a significant other or around someone who's a woman and they did prefer for you to take on that gender role would that still be mm. yeah um inappropriate dominating behavior um, what would that look like what would that look like for you yeah that's a that's a good question because i i would say that i would probably honor that um because uh, i don't think that it's bad in itself it's just mm-hmm. it's when it's put on to them which is what which is what I was trying to do in that story that I told, right? Like that they yeah. didn't want that. That that's not that's not what they wanted. And if they're forced into that role at that point is when it it's really dishonoring to them. But I I don't definitely don't. I mean, you, you know, you you both of you guys have done such a great job during these podcasts of, of clarifying that you love and honor the the church and community that you raised in and I don't know if I've done a good job of reiterating that, but I would say that about being my being raised, like I love and honor that. And, and so, um, no, I mean, I think that in, in the case where, where, where a woman still 
still desires that and it's and it's there they're affirming and you didn't use this word but in that story of of you going on this hiking trip it sounds like you learned about consent i don't know i don't know if you would use that word but i'm thinking back to oh, yeah even nick's comment almost at the beginning of mm. our conversation about the value of consent um in just not necessarily bdsm because some people do want to be the sub um some people are comfortable with that like that's what they want that's what they desire sure and um but consent's helpful there yeah Uh, nick what would uh what's life looked like for you after adolescence and how has that affected your faith journey yeah kind of a i'll attribute the change in my life root that's rooted in probably in my as I started becoming a older adolescent or a young adult in my, in my late teens um, is that I started becoming more aware of my mom's role in our family. My mom, um, we grew up in the church of the Nazarene. Um, my mom was a pastor. Um, that's kind of unique in evangelicalism um, and even unique to a certain degree in the church of the Nazarene. And my mom really was the spiritual head of our household um, and came to the faith first before my dad did. And then they both kind of worked together with our family. But my mom ended up being the spiritual Mm. force behind our family and a spiritual force in our church community. I mean, my mom made stuff happen. She took care of the needy if where other pastors, senior pastors and associate pastors mm-hmm. that had very important administrative roles. Mm-hmm. And I loved all those pastors. They're good people. But my mm-hmm. mom was out there do- on the streets. And so, so that's, that's one. My, my mom, me becoming more aware of my mom's role in our family as like this kind of diff, this unique position than a lot of churches or even families. Um, secondly, I think it was because of my being informed by my mom's role in our family was, um, I went to a private Christian school growing up and we had two pastors who spoke, mm-hmm. um, to us. One was just for men and it was like a chivalry class and which kind of goes back, kind of reminded me of your story, Tyler, of, I think that a lot of young men, particularly in evangelicalism are encouraged to be chivalrous like knights from the medieval times or something and i had another class that was taught by a pastor about sex both men both straight white dudes but the pastor who talked about sex um (laughs) pastor dolby who we used to call him daddy d love daddy d he talked he was he kind of promoted this holistic understanding of sex it was traditional between a man and a woman he definitely talked about uh homosexuality being a sin and things but i remember he used to correct us because we would say even when we would say things like that's Mm. you know i think we grew up with people being comfortable saying things like oh that's gay you're gay um as a slur and even saying things that like were gay literally um we'd be like oh that's gay that's gross. You know, Tyler used the word disgusting earlier and he would correct us. He would say, 
what you're what you're saying and how you're saying it, even when you're using it in a correct form, your tone is not Christ-like. And this kind of so this mixture of skepticism of you know my mom's role in our my family and this pastor correcting us on doing things that weren't we weren't acting correctly and so this kind of informed my um, college experience where um, I didn't know any I didn't grow up having any gay friends or really knowing any gay people or any or any trans or non-binary folks um, and I didn't even in college um, mo- and people that I did know um, they were closeted and are now out um, most of them as gay. Um, I don't know if I, I don't know if I know any trans people from Treveca directly, but anyway, but it was understanding these, and I didn't, have, <laughs> I didn't have conversations. I didn't go to the Soul Force thing. I wasn't even aware of the Soul Force thing freshman year, Josh. Like I had no idea they were in there, <laughs> and um, I, yeah, I think it was just through conversations with people saying like, oh, here's these feminist theologies. Oh, there's queer theology. What the heck is queer theology? You know, you, you taught you, you go to school and you dialogue with all these different voices and you start realizing that there are people out there that have different experiences than you and read the Bible differently than you and have, you know, just different experiences yeah. than you. And so when you read those, they, they, tra- they transform you, I would say that we, when we, ha- when just the three of us having this conversation, mm-hmm. anybody having a conversation, we are going to be mutually transformed and that these voices transformed me where with the help of these voices, I looked and said, you know, this, this, for me personally, this understanding of LGBT sexual expression or body expression, this suppression of it or saying that it's sinful doesn't really make sense to me. And it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't pop out to me when I read scripture. It doesn't, you know, there's the explicit verses, you know, in Leviticus and things that Paul say that people quote, but those are the only things. And for me, looking at those contextually, they weren't convincing for me. And that was really early on for me. Um, I didn't have conversations with um, people, you know, it was mostly through reading and the influence of um, these pastors and spiritual leaders like my mom in my life, where I was able, probably my second semester freshman year, I think one of our professors said, who would be comfortable um, wearing a t-shirt that with two men holding hands on the front and saying you know saying i promote um i don't remember what he said but basically that i was for same-sex marriage and i remember like shooting my hand up immediately and i was like i Mm -hmm. i'm for this like and i was quickly an ally i didn't understand what that meant back then because later on you know even um because i was just that was just about sexual orientation um and gay folks i didn't really talk about um gender identity or body expression until after college um which i was a lot more open to and read people i read people like you know judith butler and um i read marcella um reed for indecent theology and these voices influenced me that these people existed 
and that their voices mattered because um, God created them. And like we've talked about in our mm. faith diversity, everyone has their source and the same thing. I don't know, everybody, maybe not everybody agrees with that, but that's where my understanding came from. Yeah. That our God who's the I think- source of everything these people have I mean, what's clear in God as well is that we have been able to have this this conversation I think what's unclear is whether or not mm-hmm. the church and I'll say here the, the I think the holy church can have this conversation the organizational church the institutional church can it I don't I don't know um I, I would say, no, um, I don't think, I don't think the institutional church is ready or equipped to talk about, um, sex because it doesn't have a clear ethic of sex. It doesn't, it, uh, let me, let me step back. I'll use the church of the Nazarene because I'm a part of it and, um, I'm not trying to criticize it. I love it. Uh, I've invested my life in it. Um, I will continue to be a part of it for as long as they'll have me. Um, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's equipped to have conversations about sex and specifically about sexuality, um, LGBTQ issues, because it doesn't have a clear, it doesn't have a clear theology about bodies doesn't have a clear theology about sex in general and it still mm. struggles with gender I, I like gender issues regarding you know, women in ministry i mean we the church of the nazarene accepts and supports in a in a written level women in ministry socially not doesn't happen um yeah so all of those issues we're struggling on and i just and we're trying to jump ahead to a conversation about sexuality and, and and pinpoint it specifically and i just don't think we're ready to have that conversation because there's so many other things that are a part of the sexuality con conversation that are skipped like right now in the church of the nazarene manual it specifically just focuses on marriage um, between a man and a woman and doesn't and then only talks about uh, saying that same-sex marriage is wrong. It doesn't talk about uh, the value of women uh, or women's voices. It doesn't highlight women's voices. It doesn't, it doesn't use scriptural sources um, that highlight women's voices. That so many different books that we could highlight uh, to talk about that. Um, and it doesn't talk about bodies uh, in a healthy way. We do talk about bodies somewhat, but it's not robust. I think it's easy for the Catholic Church to say, homosexuality is wrong because sex is intended for procreation. Now that's not practice socially, but that's, mm-hmm. they can, they can say that a lot like that. That's, it is a Christian perspective that they have, they hold. I don't agree with uh, that particular stance, but they have it. And because they have that stance, they're able to make decisions later on. And we don't have that. We're just saying, okay, this is, this is where we're at. We marriage happens this way. And there's so many nuances between marriage between a man and a woman. I've, I have seen 
um, in in my time where two people are married, they're cisgendered and they both become trans. And it was originally a man and a woman. Now it's a man and a woman, but both of them are now trans. They're still married. And I don't know that that would be, that's non-heteronormative for sure. Um, but I don't know that in the church, that would be in, in, in the institutional church, that would be socially acceptable in most churches. I'm not sure. I don't, I, I, I can't say for sure. I'd hope that we would be able to, to walk through that with grace, but I just don't know. And so we don't, we don't know what to do with that situation. What do we do with situations around, you know, we find out that a, a married couple is uh, participating in BDSM or lifestyle parties or what have you, how do we navigate that? And there's so many issues and we're focusing on one issue around sexuality. And I just don't think the institutional church is equipped to have that conversation on a large scale level that puts it in rules. That's purely an opinion. And I'm, not, I'm speaking for myself, not for the organization that I represent. Um, but yeah, I jumped there without uh, clarifying, but starting to move towards what do we wish could happen in the church. And I wish, I hope, I'm optimistic that we can start down that path. And I think what I've heard both of you say is that to start down that, that path of being an ally, of, of talking about sex, first, we need to be around people who think about sex differently than we do, who think about gender issues yeah. and sexual, mm-hmm. sexual expression differently than we do. Most of us probably need to go to counseling, um, mm. specifically around the issues of sex, because we've been ingrained mm. in purity culture and we think about sex a certain way. And uh, yeah, so I led that. Sorry, guys, but what would you, what do you think going into the future? What would that, what could that look like, and what do you hope it would look like? I think that's that. Well, everything you said was very well said, and 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 I hadn't really thought about that. I mean, I, I've been around and heard of the rhetoric that our church, the Church of the Nazarene specifically, has been. Um, I say R, and I, I mean me and you, Josh, um, and 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 Nick as well as you are still kind of connected. Um, anyway, um, I've you know you hear the back and forth on on each issue and um it's it's definitely like i've never heard conversation about what you're what you're talking about josh of of you know we don't have a sexual ethic we don't have a good understanding of of bodies and the purpose you know and and the the role that they play in our christian life and so anyway i just want to i would just say I would, my hope is, is that yes, we go forward. And I mean, this is all of these taboo topics we could say this about. We've got to hear from, as you just said, Josh, we've got to hear from people who have a different perspective from us. And, you know, I, I think that's really what college was for me. You know, I think that's what college is for, for most people. You, you go to college and you, you meet and interact and you hear from people who are different from you. And, you know, it's so funny because I've heard of, of older people, 
you know, being frustrated with our colleges, being frustrated with universities and, and describing them as these places where people go and get brainwashed to be liberal. It's where you go to drink the, the blue Kool-Aid, <laughs> apparently, you know, I've, I've heard that, you know, I've heard that as rebuttal in, in arguments that I've been in. And what, what it boils down to is, no, you go to school and you get exposed to different perspectives and you and you meet people who are different and you hear voices that you haven't heard in your entire life. And that's what opens you up to, to think about mm. things differently and want to talk about things differently. And so our, our society is so partisan. It's so divided that, that we're not open to any sort of ambiguity. We're not open to any sort of voice or opinion that's different than what we're used to and what we're comfortable with. We don't like being uncomfortable and so I guess I would just say for this conversation and for all the conversations that are so divisive that we would be able to begin to hear and intentionally seek voices of people that that view these topics and these things yeah. differently than, Thanks. than what we... Thanks, Tyler. Know. I agree. I, are you st- I guess a caveat that I might would add is that unless unless you have been continued unless you are in a minority in this category you're lgbtq and you've continued to be talked at all the time That's, uh, yeah. yeah i think that it could be harmful if you were to seek out a conversation with someone who's different than you if it wasn't a safe setting or a safe place and a safe person um so just add that as a caveat Yeah, thank you for that, because I think when I'm saying all of that, I'm specifically talking mm. to people like me, people like the three of us, you know, um, and, and I think all three of us have been exposed to other people. But thank you for, for clarifying, because if you if you are a minority and you've done your best and you've tried and and you're worn out and you're tired and you're sick of being abused and you're sick of your safe word being ignored, then no, I don't expect you to continue trying. I, I don't. You know, I would encourage you to find places where they are, where they are able to have these conversations. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, I, I guess I'll piggyback. I, I'm also skeptical of these conversations being able to move forward in the institutional church. Um, but I will say that um, through my story, um, through the trauma that I experienced, it was, it was at a different church. It was at a, like some non-denominational church and the church, the Nazarene, the institution came around my family and mm. fought with my family mm. for me and my family. So I, even this conversation, I'm, I mean, I, and I'm not a part of the church of the Nazarene anymore. I'm part of the United Methodist church, which is, you know, obviously having its own conversation and issues, but I'm, thankful for the church of the Nazarene and the institutional churches that I've been a part of, um, in these communities. And, I, but with that said, um, I don't know if we can have these conversations because I'm reminded of, uh, lyrics from a song, uh, that I think of it, the, the lyrics go, everyone here hates everyone here for doing the same things that, they do so Mm. even our belief systems don't necessarily affect our practices either where and i think that 
we that's not an ex- excuse, but to say that whether or not somebody is LGBTQ or cisgendered or whatever, most people are trying to live the life that they want to live. And everyone has their favorite foods and their favorite Netflix shows that they like to binge and dream jobs that they want to achieve. And we hate people for some reason who do the same exact thing. They get off work, they come home, spend time with their family or they watch shows and they eat dinner. They go to bed, do the same thing the next morning, the same exact things we do. And we can't have the conversations for some reason. And one of my favorite trans activist theologians who is from Vanderbilt, their name is Robert Robin Henderson Espinoza. Um, They talk about how, you know, even white boys are victims of patriarchy. And obviously that's a whole different thing, but that's part of why we can't have this conversation. And I think that we have to be, I, I wish that we would go to a place in the church where we can create safe spaces where we can be heard and we can hear others. And I don't, I, that's just what I wish we could do moving forward. Mm-hmm. I, I, some, I mean, obviously there's so much more that could be said that we're not talking about in this episode. Yeah. And for that, I'm so sorry. Um, and I'd love to have that conversation another time with uh, with you guys or with any of our listeners. Just another plug. Listeners can reach out to us um, on social platforms. Uh, you can also uh, click the description and we have a link in the description where you can send us voice messages that we can play here on the podcast. So that's pretty cool. Well, there's things we want to talk about, like... Um, I wish we could have said more about uh, uh, trans issues and, and gender issues, gender roles, gender norms. I wish we could. Have, I wish we had spent more time talking about scriptures that say these things. And uh, I'm thinking of doing a series on my Instagram stories about books I've read um, on some of these topics. Uh, you know, there's so many books that are helpful for this and. That could be good resources for someone that might be curious and want to learn more. Or if you felt like you haven't had, if you're, if you are um, in one of the minorities we've talked about or you identify as LGBTQ or non-heteronormative and you felt like there haven't been resources for you to engage theologically, uh, there are. And um, so I wish we could have talked more about that and what it looks like in scripture and faith, but. There's just so much that needs to be said, but yeah, it's so hard to have this conversation Um, and it's rarely done well, I think. Yeah. So we'd love for you to check out our website or or engage with us online on our platforms. You can find the links in the description. Uh, My uh, Instagram tag is at warren.josh23. So I'd love for you to reach out on Instagram um, and Tyler's got a blog uh, that he's been working on. It's super good. I want you to check it out. Uh, and Nick's working on some papers uh, at the intersection of pop culture and theology. So that's super fun. But we are going to do next week will be an episode on science. And after that, we're curious about what uh, 
future podcasts might look like. So if you have recommendations, reach out to us, things you'd like for us to talk about. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Tyler G W underscore Smith. Um, yeah, that's where, that's where I'm at. There's also a link to my mine and my wife's blog on that Instagram page. It's leftwithhope.com. You can check that out. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NJS Polk. And you can find a link to some of my stuff and our stuff in my bio. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, we've loved having you for now. Blessings and peace be to journey.